Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. Delighted to have another episode of Checkpoint Charlie uh, featuring... Charles Pierce, one of uh, my favorite political bloggers. He writes for Esquire.com. You've seen him on MSNBC, CNN. He also appears uh, with a a certain amount of regularity on the Stephanie Miller Show, which is uh, carried on AM 950. We have a lot to talk about, and uh, we're so delighted he took some time out of his day to speak with us. Charles Pierce, how are you doing today? Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, God, since we've last talked, uh, Donald Trump has introduced several new words into the English language. My favorite, uh, combat infratrupin, uh, just his last few days. And I see you covered uh, on Twitter today, you covered a little bit of his uh, ceremony honoring the 9-11 responders and, and finally signing that bill that they get uh, compensated. Uh, yeah, they were, that was, that was a, I was in Washington for that. That was, was the day before the Mueller hearings, and it was really quite something to see those guys. Uh, and, you know, all, all, all praise to John Stewart for, for, you know, landing on that issue and never getting up. Yeah, uh, a great advocate for the cause and uh, held himself up so well and uh, supporting all those uh, fine men and women. Uh, and I was just watching something today, and uh, Trump said he was down there. He's not calling himself a first responder. but Yeah, yeah I don't know what that's – I mean, that's crazy. I mean, the only response he had – was that to point out that now he had the tallest building in New York. Yeah, no, it's... That's an, one of his more famous episodes. And then, of course, he went over to New Jersey and saw all the Muslims celebrating. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I mean, the guy, the guy, the guy is, is, is... I mean, the guy, the guy's a compulsive liar, but he's incredibly compulsive on the subject of 9-11. Yeah, well, it's... Uh, um, you know, I was... When I lived in New York in the mid-'90s, uh, in Queens, not too far from where Donald Trump grew up in Rigo Park... Uh, I had the uh, chance to go up to the top of the World Trade Towers, and it was such an amazing experience. What I remember most about it, other than the incredible view, was the variety of languages that were being spoken right around me. Yeah, well, that's what that's what makes New York New York. That's why you know. You know that's why that's why John Lennon fought so hard to be a New Yorker. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, I mean that. I mean, he took on the United States government just for the right to be a New Yorker. Right, and uh, yeah, I believe I heard, and I don't quote ex- me on this exactly, but there's like 136 languages being spoken in New York as we speak. Well, there's probably 132 different New York accents, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, given given the, the, the you know the, the 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 emigration from the from the Middle East and Africa, uh, sure. I, I mean, you know, counting dialects is probably twice that many. You're right. Well, and uh, like they say about uh, New York, New York is so great a city they had to name it twice, right? Right. Exactly right. City <laughs> so nice they named it twice. <laughs> Charlie, before we get into the cesspool of modern politics, uh, I want to tell you about a great show I saw last night. Nine year old Tony Bennett. Did an hour show. He didn't necessarily run around the stage like Mick Jagger, but he walked around the stage introducing everybody in the band. And it was such an amazing night. He still has the pipes. And oh uh, man, I I saw him with my daughter uh, maybe three or four years ago, and it was astonishing. I mean, he doesn't have the stamina he used to have, but you know, for the you know for the amount of stamina he has, he still has a wonderful, wonderful voice. Yeah, and he stands. And he's such a, and he's such a throwback to to. An era of entertainment, you know? Oh, well, you know, it's funny. There was um, two people I've seen now personally that walk out on stage and uh, hold their hands up in what I call the highly Selassie position and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, get greeted by a standing ovation. One was Hubert Sumlin, who became a good friend of mine, who played uh, guitar for uh, Holland Wolf. And, and oh, the great, the, the, the great, that's the, he's the, he's the guy that, uh, that how that Muddy Waters tried to steal. Yeah, and he did. For and a, Wolf showed up at the club apparently and just dragged him out by his ears. Yeah, they did. He actually did a um, a short tour with Muddy, and yeah. uh, uh, and when he came back to town, uh, Holland Wolf took care of that. But I was able to hear so many great stories about Wolf and uh, yeah. and Muddy and all those other players. But you know, the uh, I believe I want to say. 
uh, I might be wrong, but uh, he would grow up in Greenwood, Mississippi, and he went to see uh, Howlin' Wolf perform when he was like 12 years old and was mm-hmm. leaning over uh, a skylight peering into the gig and literally fell through and ended up in Howlin' Wolf's lap. Oh, man, that's a great story. <laughs> and Wolf took him First of all, a juke joint with a skylight. Most of them didn't have roofs. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't that that uh, uh, tall of a skylight. But Holland Wolf uh, took him home to his mother and uh, enjoyed meeting the young Hubert and uh, gave him his number and said, if he ever gets up to Chicago, uh, I'd like to talk to him. So he ended up playing uh, with you know, considered uh, Holland Wolf's right-hand man for years. And, yeah. uh, so, you know, the, the, there were so many great stories. I won't get into all of them that, that Hubert would tell me. But one was that I really uh, appreciated. Um, Holland Wolf put all of his band through night school music classes. Yeah, he was he was one of the few guys. And, you know, it's, it's, it's remarkable uh, that he did this, who really took care of his money. Yeah. And he didn't, you know, he didn't let the Chess Brothers buy him with a Cadillac. <laughs> well, you know, fact, he got every dime he was owed, or, or pretty close to every dime he was owed. I heard a story, Charles, that uh, Charles Pierce, that when Holland Wolf, you know, he had a pretty active uh, uh, career, just playing in the juke joints, and he also had a radio show. That when he drove up to Chicago, he was he drove there in a Cadillac with four grand in his pocket. I believe I believe that. I mean, I and, I, and I'm sure he paid cash money for it. I yeah, mean, you know, he he paid for little Walter's funeral, right? Because obviously, little Walter didn't have any money, and nobody else did any either, because the Chess Brothers had it all, right? But uh, you know, I mean, he was he was a remarkable guy. He's a, he's a great chapter, and he's a great chapter in uh, one of Peter Garalnik's early books. Yeah, uh, I love Garalnik. Uh, I think I think feels I think it's in feels like going home. Yeah, but it, I mean, there's a great chapter about him coming to Boston and you know doing you know entire front somersaults in a suit, <laughs> three hundred pounds. Three hundred pounds of heavenly joy. Right. <laughs> That's Gorelnik's line, by the way. Gorelnik threw that line at him and he adopted it as his own. Oh, really? Yeah, I love that. Well, and the, you know, and then of course, Muddy Waters uh, took the train up to Chicago. But uh, the great story about him—he was a sharecropper driving a tractor, and uh, the day he was leaving, uh, he got a can of spray paint and sprayed something to the effect of "On the tractor, I'm out of here." <laughs> <laughs> But Tony was so incredible. You know, uh, Charles Pierce, you and I are about the same age. And there was a point, you know, we grew up kind of in the rock and roll generation. There was a point when Frank Sinatra wasn't cool and Tony Bennett wasn't cool. And then you had all the other ones, that, you know, sure. Vic Dana and Dean Martin. But then over years, uh, the years, you come to realize, no, Frank and Tony were pretty damn cool. Sure, absolutely. I mean, and they were a different kind of cool, but they were yeah. de- they were definitely cool. And both of them uh, historically really stood up for the civil rights movement when they didn't have to. Well, fact, I was they were probably advised not to. I was that Tony was at the march on Washington. Yeah, right. Well, and and I'm glad you brought that up, Charles Pierce, because I was uh, standing outside. I always like to watch the crowd come out of shows, you know, and sure. knowing like you see a show like that last night, like when I've gone to see Willie Nelson, I'm going to see Willie on Saturday or Friday or Saturday, by the way. Um, but you realize some of these people in their walkers and wheelchairs, this is probably the last concert they're ever going to see. Um, right. yeah. So there's always that, you know, that feeling of nostalgia uh, and sadness I have with that. But I was sitting outside talking to a homeless guy who I gave a few bucks to, uh, sitting outside with this cop, and a really nice guy, his name was Jay Johnson, came up from Iowa to take care of his mother. We had a really uh, charming chat, and uh, he reminded me that Tony Bennett sang at Martin Luther King's funeral. Yes, he did. Uh, I'm not exactly, I don't remember what number, what song he did, but he did sing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he was, you know, he was there, he, you know, he was, he was marched behind the, the mule-drawn wagon and everything else. Well, you uh, you know you realize that uh, you know a lot, of guys, a lot of guys of that generation stood up. Charlton Heston was at the March on Washington. Yeah, and of course, you know Hibbing's own Bob was there too. But he yeah, was that was uh, one of his first really big gigs. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
you know, you go back to when uh, Be- uh, Benny Goodman, uh, through the advice of John Hammond, brought Charlie Christian into his band. That music, uh, you know, starting in uh, the 30s for sure, was one of the first places where integration was taking place in this country. Oh, there's no. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, there were there were you know Otis Redding used to sing, used to sing in frat houses at segregated colleges. Yeah. Uh, and you know how many how many how many you know good little good little white Baptist boys would sneak out to the juke on Saturday night and then have to and then, you know and then have to, and then have to tell God about it on Sunday. Uh, you know, I think I think you know what you know. Look at Booker T and the MGs. Right. They look, were way ahead of their time. Look no farther. And, yeah, and they, they were an integrated band. Absolutely. They were a house. You know, they were a house band, and they were completely integrated. And nobody cared. <laughs> Nor should they. We've got Charles Pierce on for the whole show tonight. Checkpoint Charlie. We're going to listen to a little music, a couple of commercials, and and we'll be back with Mr. Pierce in just a little bit. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends. I can't wait to get on the road again. On the road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again I can't wait to get on the road again On the road again Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens is the first green cemetery in Minnesota. It's a beautiful, peaceful place where burials are celebrations of life with as little impact on the environment as possible. Tony Weber founded it because he wants to leave a green legacy for his grandchildren, something many of us might feel. Learn more. Visit the website mngreengraves.com. Give them a call. The goal is so meaningful, so positive, it might be right for you. Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. The number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. I'm Richard R.J. Eskow, and this week on The Zero Hour, we'll be discussing political corruption, Wall Street shenanigans, our corporate overlords, digital dystopia, and maybe throw in a surprise or two as well. All this and more on The Zero Hour every Sunday night from 9 until midnight on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Next time on Philosophy Talk, the mystery of the multiverse. Some scientists believe that our universe is just one in an infinite number of parallel universes. But has anyone ever observed one of these parallel universes? Of course not. They can't be seen or accessed from our universe. Well, then how can we say anything about them? We're philosophers. That never stopped us. The mystery of the multiverse. Next time on Philosophy Talk. Philosophy Talk. Every Sunday at 8 a.m. and again at 2 p.m. on AM 950. Burger Moe's gorgeous patio is open for the season. Enjoy nightly happy hours, more than 60 beers on tap, and the weather while you watch your favorite game on the outdoor screen. And don't miss live music Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Offering 20 fresh, never-frozen burger varieties, Burger Moe's also offers delicious appetizers, soups, salads, as well as unburgers, dogs, paninis, shakes, and desserts. Burger Moe's is located at 242 West 7th Street in St. Paul with plenty of free parking and online at BurgerMoe's.com. Eat fresh and support local farmers this summer by shopping at the Minneapolis Farmer's Market. The market has the best selection of fresh and local fruits and vegetables, meats, and farmstead goods. Fresh at the market now, cherry tomatoes, cauliflower, broccoli, cucumbers, zucchini, beets, carrots, and even some new baby potatoes. The Minneapolis Farmer's Market is open every day, 6 a.m. to 1 p.m., plus there's additional locations Tuesday at the Hennepin County Government Center and Thursdays at Nicollet Mall. More details at mplsfarmersmarket.com. Power, 
Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. My guest uh, for the whole show tonight, uh, Charles Pierce, one of the greatest political bloggers, writes for Esquire.com. Whoops, let me turn off my phone here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Keep that in the show. Keep that in the show. That's the quote of the week. Charles, this, you know, this modern world... Um, it's throwing me. You get uh, you get so many messages now. Is it on? Did you get the mess? The the info you need was it on Instagram, Facebook message? Was it an yeah. email? Was it a text? It's impossible. It's gotten technology is making my life more complex. That's all I'm going to say about that. How about you? You're a man that uh, you are on Twitter uh, a lot. You're writing your columns. How do you keep all your information straight? You know, you got to watch the news. You're talking to your sources. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I try, I mean, I, I think after a number of years in the profession, I've, I've figured out what a credible source is and what news source is and what isn't. Uh, but it's hard. And and to me, it's not so much the, the volume of the information is the accelerated pace at which you get it. Right. Everything is speeded up. I mean, there's, there's, if you're not careful, there's no t- there's no time to sort of, you know, reflect on it or or, or to, to 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 parcel out all the information because here comes another wave. Yeah, well, and it's it's you look at uh, we're going to dip in and out of politics because what I was reading this morning made my head explode. But uh, <laughs> there's so, I mean, Trump is moving ahead on so many uh, fronts, right? All uh, seemingly at, at one point, I'm old enough to, to remember most of these would be illegal, like getting two point five billion dollars for his border wall without going through Congress, which I thought in my civics class, there was uh, the Congress used to control yeah, the, uh, the purse strings. Yeah, the, the, the originalists on the Supreme Court found a way for him to do that, even though it's clearly against. You know, as you said, it's. It, I mean, there, there, there's still a Constitution which still has an Article One, and that says that you know, basically, that the House shall appropriate money for purposes, and not, you know, the, the president can't just grab some and use it to do whatever he's going to do with it. What do you think? I mean, why not just you know, why not just grab some and and you know, buy an airline or something? Yeah, You're right. Allow him to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's. Um uh, you know, coming on the heels of the uh, Mueller testimony, were, were you? You were in D.C. Were you in the room? I, I was. I was in. Wow. As the show says, in the room where it happened. Yeah, uh, I wasn't in the room. It was funny because he needed like he needed like you there to to Mueller needed you to teach him about like microphone techniques, right? Because he kept going off mic and you couldn't hear him in the room, right? So on the second part, the afternoon session where he was in front of the intelligence committee, I just went into the press room and watched him on TV because you could hear him better there. Right. But I mean, he was getting in the room. He was getting drowned out by people typing. Hmm. I mean, which you know, I mean, it, you could hear the questioners, especially the Republicans, because most of them were yelling, uh, and uh, you know, you you couldn't really hear his answers. Yeah, uh, but he certainly. I mean, I think that you know. The, the initial reaction from a lot of people was that he was halting and, like, what was Chuck Todd's line? The optics were bad. Right. All I know is that a lot more people, uh, that a, a number of people have come out in favor of an impeachment inquiry since he testified than before. Well, and so it's... Am- optics, optics, be, optics be damned. He did his job. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, he's facing... Whether it's, there's 20 people on those panels, so you're not not exactly sure where the questions are coming from, um, and then uh, the the microphone problems, and then uh, would somebody buy Jim Jordan a suit coat? <laughs> I don't think he. I, mean, I, I think he's. I think he's too cheap. Basically, I think he buys like half a suit. I don't know what that's supposed to be about. Right. I mean, is he demonstrating what a brawny former wrestling guy he is? Yeah. He's not I, impressing anybody. Yeah, it's something like that. I, mean, I wish he, somebody would buy him a clue, too. If they're going to buy him a suit coat, maybe they can make sure there's a clue in the pocket. Right. Well, you know, he's like one step away from wearing a backwards baseball hat. <laughs> it's exactly right. <laughs> so, um... He's the, he's, the, he's, the guy, he's the guy when you go into the bar after the softball game... Everybody sits at the other end of the bar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing how 
You know, there used to be a point, you know, my, my, my mother was a, uh, a Republican. My father was uh, independent, voted for the person who leaned Republican. The day uh, Obama was elected, uh, my father, he, he bought us, all three of us kids, um, Obama plates, commemorative oh. plates that he gave us. And he told me, he goes, uh, the morning after Obama was elected, he said, I got on my knees and prayed for the president. Wow. Yeah, and it's just, you you know, when the uh, framers were getting this whole thing together, I don't think they realized 200 years later the level of crazy that would be going on. Oh, I, th- I think they were, I, I think in theory they did, because they put so many, they put in so many of the, of, of, of the, the stop gaps and checks that this guy just kind of bulldozes over. Right. With the, with the connivance of his, you know, his, his, his enablers in Congress and his enablers in the media. Uh, but I think they, I mean, this guy is, I mean, this guy is not that original a thinker. Right. He's, I mean, he's, he's got a kind of animal audacity to do stuff. But, you know, he, I mean, he's not doing a lot that isn't, except for the, the, you know, kind of vulgar and grotesque way he goes about it. He's not doing a whole lot that a lot of Republicans haven't wanted to do for a couple of decades. Now. Yeah, right. Well, it's like, you know, uh, Rick Wilson said in one of his Daily Beast uh, pieces the other day, why don't you just come out and say the N-word? You know you want to. You know what I mean? Well, he's getting, he's getting there. I mean, he, I mean, I don't know that we'll ever see it, but I guarantee you that, that, that he's right on the edge of, of, of blurting it out at some point. Yeah. Um, now, because he's being, you know, he's being, you know, bedeviled by these, you know, these black people who want to know things about his about his son-in-law and about his daughter and about their business and stuff and who are these people and about the border wall yeah you know i don't and i don't think donald trump has any clue of the history of elijah cummings place in the civil rights movement no i think you know i, I think all of the guys from that generation and, and you know we're losing i mean the guys from that generation are, are getting very old we're going to start losing them yeah you know and and i certainly don't want you know, once they're gone and can't speak for themselves, I don't want the civil rights movement, you know, interpreted for the next generations by the likes of these guys. Yeah, exactly. We've got uh, uh, Charles Pierce on the line in the Wall of Power radio hour all night tonight. Uh, we're going to uh, get back into a little music because uh, Charlie's a big music guy. We're going to listen to a little music, uh, hear a couple of messages, and be right back. So stay tuned. Chances are, after spring cleaning, you missed a spot. A couple really big spots, like your roof and siding. Run your fingers across your siding. You'll likely get a gross residue. And your roof probably has some black streaks, too. Your roof and siding aren't always easy to clean, but they're definitely the most visible parts of your home that give it its curb appeal. So let Blue Sky Services clean your roof and siding. Blue Sky's safe soft wash method won't cause any damages and will make your home look like new. Right now, Blue Sky Services is running their summer special where you can get your whole house, roof, and siding clean starting at only $447. That's the most viewed parts of your home clean for only $447. Then mention AM950 when you call Blue Sky Services to get an additional $50 off. So get the curb appeal back on your home and call Blue Sky Services at 952-467-2447. That's 952-467-2447. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Scott Peterson with the Minnesota News Network, inviting you to join us this week for Minnesota Matters, a news, entertainment, and sports show covering everything that matters in the North Star State. Tune us in right here or at your convenience at minnesotanewsnetwork.com. Listen to Minnesota Matters every weekend, Sunday mornings at 6.30 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Liberty Mutual Insurance presents... And Doug. Limu, there's a woman threatening to sign up for generic car insurance. Grab your birdseed and let's go. I'm going to sign these papers right here, right now. Ma'am, drop the pen. Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance, so you only pay for what you need. <sighs> Thanks, Limu, Emu, and Doug. Don't thank us. Thank Liberty Mutual. But also thank us. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com. Underwritten by Liberty Mutual Insurance Company and affiliates. Equal housing insurer. State laws apply. The Downtowner Woodfire Grill in St. Paul is the perfect choice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Offering daily fresh seafood specials, fire-roasted meats, exquisite pizza, and half-price bottles of wine on Mondays and Tuesdays, except on Excel Energy event nights. Once you experience their cozy fireside dining, extensive wine list and bar, you'll be back for more. Gift certificates and private dining room for parties available. Located at 253 West 7th Street with plenty of free parking or online at downtownerwoodfire.com. With your AM950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Tonight we have a chance of storms with a low around 66. Tomorrow is mostly sunny with a high near 86. Monday, chance of storms with a high near 84. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 80. And Wednesday, sunny with a high near 81. The Eat Local Minnesota Restaurant of the Week is The Great Wall. They offer one of the most extensive Chinese menus in the Twin Cities. Try their hot and sour soup or mushu pork with homemade Chinese pancakes. Just north of 50th and France in Edina. See full menu at greatwallrestaurant.us. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Messa. Honored to have Charles Pierce. I believe it's fourth or fifth appearance on the show. We call it Checkpoint Charlie. Uh, Mr. Pierce is a writes for Esquire.com. He's also an author, sports guy, and a music guy. And before we get to a little more music talk, Charles, what do you think, uh, like you said in the last uh, segment on the show, uh, there's momentum being built up in the House uh, for impeachment. Where do you think that's going right now? Well, I, I mean, I think that uh, in a lot of ways, about a month or a month and a half ago, Lawrence Tribe pointed the way, which is a, a way to to, ma- to 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 impeach the guy, and then in such a way that it doesn't really matter whether the Senate convicts him or not. Right. Just to get all the information out there, uh, uh, because the, the 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 Republican Party at this point is hopeless. Right. I mean, there's absolute. I mean, you saw it when they all, you know, got in formation pretty much over this racist nonsense. He's been tweeting at Elijah Cummings. Right. Uh, I mean, nobody stood up. Right. And when he went after the four women, uh, all of whom are women of color in the House, nobody stood up and said, you know, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe the president shouldn't be doing this under his own name. Right. You know, I don't have any illusions that he's actually typing these. Right. But. Uh, you know, I, I, and I mean, there, there's only one place right now where he can be held to account, and that's the House. Mm-hmm. The Senate won't do it. The House is empowered to do it. Uh, the courts take too long, right? Uh, and even if you could trust them, which I don't. Uh, but I think the most, the, the, to me, the the most disturbing thing in the last week was the Senate Intelligence Committee report on. How deeply penetrated the United States elections were by the Soviet, by the Soviet Unionists to me, 1955, <laughs> uh, and by the Russians. Right. All 50 states right. were penetrated in one way or another. And, of course, as Mueller pointed out and the Senate committee confirmed, it's open season now. Right. Because the president's not going to do anything about it. Uh, it's open season to the North Koreans. You know, ask ask the Sony Corporation how good the North Koreans are at hacking. Right. You know, it's open to the Iranians. It's open to the Saudis. It's open to everybody who's got a cyber war division. Yeah, and they all and do. neither the President of the United States nor the Republicans in the Senate seem to want to do anything about it. You know, Charlie, it, 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 what, what's so frustrating, you look at uh, uh, the purveyor of, of doom and gloom, which he's called himself, Mitch McConnell, who's holding up uh, a lot of these bills that would protect our election security. I'm going, my God, 
Is there, how does, I guess my question is, how does the DNC, who's the guy in charge that's leading the messaging? Because it looks, you you could take the, the GOP down 12 times till Sunday, but there never seems to be a coordinated attack with all of these areas that are obvious GOP weaknesses. Yeah, well, you, I mean, I think you've got to, you've got to take this year. As, as 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 an outlier because you've got twenty five guys people run you got twenty five people running for president right so you're not going to get a coherent message until you have a nominee right but I certainly think that you know the strategy I think the strategy in in the House and in the Senate could be better coordinated yeah uh, I think I think there are there are you know I thought in fact I thought Elijah Cummings had a great idea a few years ago which was basically if you won't testify in front of the Congress we're going to hold up your salary because we can do that yeah right. No doubt. I'm going to take a left turn here. Um, I saw a great movie a couple of weeks ago called The Catcher Was a Spy. Are you oh, f- Mo Burns. Yeah, what an incredible cat. Boston, 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 Red, Boston Red Sox catcher Mo Burns. Yeah, it was a, such a phenomenal story. Charlie, you're probably in a better position to tell the story of Moberg than I can because I just saw the movie. But uh, what an incredible human being! So give us oh, a little background. I mean, I mean, it, I mean he was—it's it, right up there with, uh, you know, with Hedy Lamar inventing the code-breaking device. Right, right, did, exactly. Uh, all these, all, all these unknown. Yeah, I mean, he, he was—he was a, a fairly decent, not great catcher. Certainly no Earl Batty. Right. Uh, thank you. But he, you're welcome. Uh, and he was also, you know, he, he, he went into the intelligence service. Right. And he, was really good at it. And, uh, yeah, and he spoke like 10 or 11 languages. Yeah. And he, was one of those, he was one of those people, you know, I mean, I'm sure that uh, in music you have, you know, people who can, who can look at an instrument for five minutes and know how to play it. Prince. He, yeah. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, this guy could hear a language like once or twice and pick it up. Right. Some he, people are like that. He learned uh, he was going over some all-star team when when uh, uh, Japan was really be, uh, developing uh, fondness for baseball. So he went right. over with Babe Ruth and a handful of other uh, stars in the baseball world. And he got his little book and he learned Japanese on the, on the, uh, right. on the boat trip over there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know he, I mean, he was a two forty three lifetime hitter, so he was a, you know a fairly big journeyman. My favorite thing is that Casey Stengel called him the strangest man in, in all of baseball. This is Casey Stengel. <laughs> you know the other great thing was, uh, uh, yeah, and, and he's just a real you know man of international intrigue. And I believe at some point he met Ian Fleming. Oh yeah, there were, well he was working for the OSS, and Fleming was working for right. what was I don't remember what the British one was called. But uh, you know, he was one of his one of his uh, his uh, deal was to to create units to drop into what later became Yugoslavia, right? To fight with the partisans. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a great part in that movie. So, what what did you remember? What college he went to? Uh, what college he went to? Yeah, uh, it was like Princeton or something like that. Or did it mean he might have even gone to Columbia? Uh, I I think no he went no he didn't go to Columbia he went to NYU. Okay great yeah okay New yeah. York City so so there's this great part of this movie um, and uh, so. He's, uh, uh, you know, he's a catcher, and he's exchanging uh, hand signals in English, right? Whatever the English hand signals are with one some, right. somebody else on the field, and they figured out, well, there might be somebody on the opposing team that can actually interpret these hand signals. So then they they did it in Sanskrit. They're right. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, what an incredible movie, uh, you folks out there. Well, well, not only that, but he had an assignment. To go and and listen to Werner Heisenberg, the physicist, right. and possibly and assassinate him and kill him if he if he thought the Germans were too close to the bomb. <laughs> I mean, this I mean, this guy wasn't a desk jockey; he was an active spy. He was a you know a, a, what 
you know, he was he was a he was a secret agent. Yeah, and, and, he, and as you said, he traveled in the same circles with Ian Fleming. And he walked after that uh, lecture. Walked Eisenberg back to his hotel with his gun in his pocket. Yeah, and and in the movie it says Eisenberg's son came out years later and thanked Mo for not killing his dad. <laughs> It's an odd thing to have to thank somebody for, but yeah, I guess you would do that. That was um, that was really incredible. Uh, this uh, catcher was a spy. Go out and, and track that one down. Yes, yeah, it's, it's my friend Nick Davidoff wrote the book, and you should find the book. I don't know if it's still in print. Nick Davidoff. Now, what yeah. else did he write? I'm very familiar with uh, his I'm name. Sure he's, he's, I think he wrote a country western book, actually. Yeah. Later on, uh, yeah, I'm very familiar with it with his name. Yeah, but his first book, I think, was The Catcher Was a Spy. Okay, well, I got to get the book. I got to yeah. get the book. Did you see uh, Martin Scorsese's Rolling Thunder review? I did, and it's, it's uh, I had forgotten how much video there actually was of that tour. Yeah, apparently they filmed everything. Yeah, but how can you how can you not love Bob driving the bus? Oh, <laughs> exactly the the Winnebago. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there was a great uh, picture of him in the back of that. He was playing guitar with a, a guy who became a very good friend of mine. who's was a Bob Dylan childhood buddy named Larry Keegan. Larry was uh-huh. uh, in the back. He was he had a a red uh, shawl around him. Uh, Larry was got in a diving accident when he was nineteen in Florida, lost the use of his legs, and then was running from the cops when he was about 25 or 26 in Mexico, ran into a tree and became a, a quadriplegic and uh, became one of the most uh, renowned uh, people in uh, the Twin Cities, one of the first guys to start talking about uh, disability and human sexuality. And uh, so it was nice seeing my buddy Larry. Larry actually died on 9-11, going to get Dylan's uh, love and theft. Uh, Larry was 60, uh, was coming back and had a a heart attack in his van. But it was good to see him. And then um, the other guy I had the pleasure to know was Diamond Dave Whitaker. And when Dylan and Ginsberg are at Kerouac's grave, and they're reading from, was it, uh, which which book was that Kerouac book? I can't remember. I thought it was on the road, no? No, it was... Or was it Dharma Bums? I don't even it, know. It was one of those, although I saw yeah. a great picture, Jackie Kennedy reading Dharma Bums on the back <laughs> of Air Force One, and, uh, and and JFK was eating a bowl of chowder. I just saw that the other day through the magic of the, that is the Twitterverse. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, uh, so I met Ivan Dave Whitaker. He's 80. He's still uh, a member of the Rainbow family. Uh, he was uh, uh, the guy that not only uh, turned Bob Dylan on to Jack Kerouac that Bob name checks in that scene, but he was also the guy that turned Bob Dylan on to Woody Guthrie, and we know how that ended up. Yeah, uh, that was uh, that was the kickstart. That was the big bang of the career. Yeah, and uh, because, you know, by, at that point, prior to that, he was a rock and roll star, a yeah. rock and roller. Yeah, came down under the influence of the Dinky Town folk scene, and uh, boy, you look at those. Uh, well, you look at Dylan's whole career. I was driving up north last week, and I always have a. Mm-hmm. I just grabbed from my Dylan stash, and uh, all my CDs are in the wrong cases. And I was listening to one of these compilations, and I'm, I'm saying to myself, when you look at Dylan's career, all the shows he's played, everything that's been recorded, there's no one is ever going to catch up to him. No, not not in, not no not in terms of. I mean, he he's 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 already passed. I mean, he, the guy, the guy could could have. You know, it's almost like he he he's been he's played music from like the nineteen from that Harry Smith anthology all the way to today. Yeah, it looks like he belongs. You know, he's, he's like Jack Nick. That picture, Jack Nicholson in The Shining, at the end where he's in the party from nineteen twenty nine. Yeah, right, right. I mean, it's, it's almost like that. Yeah. Well, and he's one of uh, the one, one of the reasons why he is so great is he's one of the, uh, America's greatest musicologists. There's not a style of music that Dylan's not hip to or hasn't I mean, played. His, his, his radio show was tremendous. Yeah. I mean, it was really a great radio show. And all that Borscht Belt humor, I remember one in particular. Yeah. He was doing a Mother's Day show, and uh, he said, yeah, I gave a, uh, gave a chair to my mother-in-law for, for Mother's Day, but she hasn't plugged it in yet. <laughs> We've got Charlie Pearson uh, for the whole show tonight. Uh, we're going to have one more segment with them, little music, little messages, and we'll be back on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. 
of the Twin Cities Gay Scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. Hi, friends. I've been talking to you about Minnesota's first green cemetery, Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. It's an entirely new way of looking at our last earthly step. Burials are designed to have as little impact on the environment as possible. For many of us, a continuation of the commitment we made during our lifetimes. Let me suggest you go to the website, mngreengraves.com. Explore what it is. Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. It's a lovely place, a peaceful place. Minnesota's first green cemetery. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Catch New Beginnings with Freddie Bell, Saturdays at 11 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Hi, Matt McNeil for Rudy Luther Toyota. For your next vehicle purchase, there are many reasons to choose Rudy Luther. First, their top-notch staff from top to bottom is wonderful, friendly, and always ready to help. Another, the Luther Advantage card. With every new and used vehicle purchase, you'll get three years of $0.10 off per gallon of gas at Holiday Station stores, as well as discounted car washes. The Luther Advantage card keeps you happy in your Rudy Luther vehicle. Find out more at Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Northeast Minneapolis is known for its creativity, and you'll know exactly why when you eat at Hazel's Northeast. Their creatively prepared comfort food will have you coming back week after week. Breakfasts like biscuits and gravy, granola pancakes, and brisket hash. For lunch, homemade soup, and one of the best Rubens in town. And don't miss the daily risotto or Chef Ali's ever-changing dinner specials. Come on in. Bring the whole family. Hazel's Northeast delivers real good food. Family owned at 29th and Johnson in Minneapolis. At Total Dog Company, you have the opportunity to shop local. We stock dog foods made in Minnesota and Wisconsin, such as American Natural Premium. Like all the foods we sell at Total Dog Company, American Natural Premium contains no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives, and no ingredients from China. It is premium nutrition without a premium price. Find Total Dog Company in New Hope right off of 169 at 9432 36th Avenue North and at TotalDogCompany.com. Gotta give us what we need. Hey, our freedom of speech is freedom of death. We got to fight the powers that be. Fight the power. Fight the power. Fight the power. Welcome back to the Power Radio Hour. This is the last set. Uh, Checkpoint Charlie with my good friend and guest, Mr. Charles Pierce, coming to us over the phone from somewhere in Massachusetts. How's your summer been out there, Charles? Very hot. Uh, I mean, it was okay up until about a couple of weeks ago, and then we had a week of just unbelievable heat. It's been beautiful here. We've had, uh, you know, a week of 90s, but if you've lived through a Minnesota winter, you can't complain, right? <laughs> I know. I learned when I was going to school in Wisconsin, I learned that, too. Uh, you know, I spent one summer out there, and people said, God, isn't it hot? I said, yeah, but it's not February. Yeah, right. 
get used to that. So, uh, Charles, what um, what kind of music have you been listening to? You got any new stuff? Are you going back to the old classics? Or uh, actually, I've been I've I've been I've been I put together. This is a, a long involved story. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, I went uh, for two summers. I was a forest ranger at in Douglas State Forest in Massachusetts, like Jack, Jack Kerouac. Yeah, and uh, where you know, I was out in the woods a lot of the time, and and you know, all by myself, and all I had was an AM radio, mm-hmm. and it only got one station, the, the top forty station out of Providence. So any song that hit the charts in the summers of nineteen seventy two and seventy three. Mm-hmm. I know all the lyrics too. Oh, cool! Right. Or fine girl, can, I can sing it in my sleep. <laughs> so just the other day, I put, I put a playlist together uh, on my phone of all the songs, or most of the songs that I could find from the Billboard top from the Billboard top forty for every week, right? Uh, of for seventy two and seventy three, and I was amazed by how many good songs there were. Oh hell I mean, yeah! It was, a, it was a really, really, you know, fertile time for soul music. Oh yeah. It's the last great blast of soul music before disco came in and ate the world. Right, right. You know, the stylistics, the dramatics, the spinners. Oh, yeah, all that the Philly OJs, stuff. all those guys. Yeah. And, and I don't want to call them the second generation because they were all playing, you know, during the first generation. But they all, you know, the Philadelphia guys, all they all came bursting out at once. Yeah. And uh, I was very surprised that along with some just unbelievable schlock. Yeah. There was... I mean, people don't remember that about top forty music because there isn't such a thing anymore. Right. But if you know, if you caught a top forty, you know, if you caught a top forty uh, station, and you caught them on the right day, you could hear some pretty amazing stuff. Oh yeah. Well, you know my um, my go to summer song, and uh, it's it's not even a guilty pleasure because I think it's a great tune. Is Thunder Island by Jay Ferguson. Oh, I remember. So, yeah, that's a little bit after after the woodland time, but yeah, I remember that song. Sure. Yeah, it was great. That's the kind you know. If you have a ragtop, you got to put it down and uh, go seventy five miles an hour and just crank the radio. But uh, yeah, that's well, uh, to me. To me, it, I, 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 lo- I long ago declared that it isn't summertime until I hear that lady parts one and two by the Isley Brothers, <laughs> and I don't care if I hear it in the middle of January. It's summer. <laughs> what were some of those other twos on your playlist? Oh Lord, I mean. I, I, you know, I've got, I've got the phone right here. I'll summon them. Yeah, up. you I mean, summon them up. I like, I got that. You know, I, I have that. As I said, uh, I mean, the first, the two, the first two songs are "I'll Take You There" and "Old Girl." Oh yeah, there you go. Uh, and but the other thing that came out that came out in '72 was "Exile on Main Street." Oh yeah. So I have "Tumbling Dice" and "All Down the Line" and "Happy." Yeah. Probably Keith's greatest song. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing. And and and, and I I had you know Hot Rod Lincoln was was way sure. then I saw Todd Rundgren's I saw the light, right? Uh, uh, Long Cold Woman in a Black Dress, right? Uh, which, which you know was was a you know it was the post Graham Nash Hollies, right? Uh, a very I think a very underrated song, uh, Rick Nelson's Garden Party. Oh yeah, which was a really nice tune. I'd forgotten how good it was. You know what? Uh, I've heard a couple. I saw it at Dylan in concert. Well, I've seen them over the years several times. But 1990, uh, I went on a little four-show run in the upper Midwest, and he did a killing version of Rick Nelson's Lonesome Town. Really? Oh, you got to track it down. It's on YouTube. It's phenomenal. Wow, I, 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 know, I, I, I wasn't aware that... Uh, that uh, that he did that many covers, but boy, that's a deep cut. Yeah, that's a deep cut. Um, now, Hot Rod Lincoln was that Commander Cody? Yeah, it was Commander Cody. Yeah, you know, I booked from the from the, uh, from the uh, uh, Lost in the Ozone album. Yeah, which yeah. also contains his unbelievable cover of "Beat Me, Daddy, Eight to the Bar." Oh yeah, which I just adore. They just did. Uh, I think it was in San Francisco. They just did a 50th anniversary of uh, Commander Cody and the Lost Planet Airmen. I had the pleasure of uh, booking Commander Cody at this blues club I was working at in uh, from 2001 to 2007, and uh, we had a great after party hang, as you could well imagine, with uh, with George, uh, great visual artist too, by the way. But he told me a great story. He was with. Uh, uh, Russell Means and uh, some other members of AIM when they took over Alcatraz. Do you remember that? No, that I didn't know. Yeah, that's he, interesting. He was hanging with them on the island. Really interesting guy. And 
uh, man, you just remember all of that uh, early 1970s stuff that uh, that came out, you know, kind of the dumb yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm just scrolling through it now. I mean, it, everybody plays the fool by the main ingredient yeah. whose lead singer was Cuba Gooding Sr. What? Wow. Yeah, yeah, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s dad was the lead singer on Everybody Plays the Fool. Wow. That's, well, that's like um, Spike Lee's dad uh, played bass. Yeah, he's a bass player, right? Yeah, yeah, he played with both. Uh, he's on a, a Dylan record, a uh, Gordon Lightfoot record, and a um, who's the other guy? One of the great folks. Yeah, but he uh, Van Morrison. He played on Van Morrison record. Okay, yeah, really? I think one of those early ones, yeah. And what was the name of your buddy who wrote the book about that whole Cambridge folk scene? When, oh, Ryan Walsh. Yeah, I got a Astral, Astral Weeks. It's in paperback now. I am going to go pick that up this. He week. wrote. He wrote about uh, you know. He wrote about Van's. You know, the, the, well, he wrote about the whole Boston scene when you know Peter Wolf from the Giles Band was a DJ on WBCN and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But he also wrote about how Van came to live in Cambridge. Yeah, which is where he wrote Ash, most of Astral Weeks. Yeah. And, you know, put a band called the Van Morrison Controversy was the name of his band up here. <laughs> uh, but uh, what else? Is that? I was I just have a, I just fell out of my head again. Uh, that, you know, this this weird kind of confluence where you've got Cuba Gooding Sr. being the lead singer for the meeting. Great. It'll come back to me in a minute. Only in uh, America. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, and I knew I knew that I, he did. The, Spike Lee's father did the music for a lot of his movies. Hmm. I mean, I know he did. I know he did the music. You know, he did the music that wasn't like uh, Public Enemy and, and right. You know, the recording music. He did. He did most of the music for Do the Right Thing. I, one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, Charles Pierce. I know you're a busy guy. We, we will check in again soon. Hey, very soon. I'm going off to the debates this week, so I'll have something to report from them. Good. Well, uh, these episodes of Checkpoint Charlie, I bump into people on the street uh, that say that this is one of the favorite. You're one of my favorite. Uh, their favorite guests on my show, Charles. So I really. Well, I loved. I, I like doing it, even though we, we we always start off on politics. We always end up with Dylan. I don't yeah. know how that happens. <laughs> well, and the next time. And We'll keep a little moment of suspense here. We will have to hear that story Popovich has been telling me about the hooker that lives next door to you guys when you guys were going to Marquette. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that was, it, it was particularly eventful the night that she lit the apartment on fire. <laughs> we'll save that for the next checkpoint, Charlie. All right. Charlie, <laughs> thanks a lot, brother. Have a great day, week. You too, Paul. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Brett Johnson. We'd like to thank our guest, Mr. Charles Pierce. Want to find out what I'm up to? Go to paulmetza.com. Every Thursday night, I'm at Shaw's with Willie Walker from 5 to 7.30 in Northeast Minneapolis. A lot of other good things on the horizon as well. want to thank you for continued listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. The Wall of Power 